Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All this focus, focus is supposed to be scientific. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. I don't want to talk to your personality. I want to talk to your soul. Back from the Borderline is your weekly dose of emotional alchemy. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire burning it down so something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power, you just didn't know that. And now you do. And that's what we do here together on this podcast. And I'm so excited to be in your ear right now. I hope you're having a great day. What are you doing? Are you walking around? Are you doing your dishes? Are you laying in bed? Now is a time for you. And I have so many listener voicemails built up that I knew that we needed to take a few episodes to just do some fun Q&A. You reach out to me at my website, backfromtheborderline.com, leave me a voicemail, and I respond like you're parasocial big sister not a doctor not a therapist just a fellow person on this journey trying to be the best i can spend all my time reading about depth psychology and spirituality and human emotion and personality and combine that with my own experiences of being in rock bottom going through it feeling like i have every disorder label in the dsm (laughs) I've been there. So let's dive in and hear what your fellow back from the borderliners are saying. 
Let's chat. So before we dive into our first voicemail, I just wanted to kiki for a second and share with you a tweet that I ran across from one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. His name's Billy Oppenheimer. He is the writing and research assistant to Ryan Holiday. And if you're not familiar with Ryan Holiday, what are you doing? (laughs) He's amazing. He is the author of a book called The Daily Stoic. He talks a lot about Stoic philosophy. And as long-term listeners of the podcast know, I think Stoic philosophy is one of the best things that someone who struggles with emotion regulation can start exploring. It really helps you find balance. I don't think a completely stoic approach is good, but as you all know, I'm big on balance. And when we're completely emotionally dysregulated, reading the words of stoic philosophers and finding people who are able to condense those thoughts into really approachable content like Ryan Holiday, I recommend it. So I will link Ryan Holiday's YouTube channel in the show notes as well as Billy Oppenheimer's Twitter. So this tweet from Billy that I retweeted today was all about our brain and the importance of the resting state of our brain. So I'm going to read you this tweet. What is your brain doing when you're doing absolutely nothing? A neuroscientist wanted to answer that question, so she conducted the first brain imaging study of brain activity when the brain is in a resting state, free of inputs, free to wander. The results are interesting. The neuroscientist, Dr. Nancy Anderson, used a postrion emission tomography, PET, so a PET scan, to study brain activity when the brain is at wakeful rest when you're doing absolutely nothing. We found activations in multiple regions of the association cortex, Dr. Anderson wrote. We are not seeing a passive silent brain during the resting state, but rather a brain that was actively connecting thoughts and experiences. Essentially, Dr. Anderson demonstrated that the brain defaults to creativity. When you're doing absolutely nothing, the brain engages in what the researchers termed random episodic silent thought or rest. And during rest, the brain uses its most human and complex parts. Takeaway number one, doing nothing promotes creativity. Raymond Chandler, Neil Gaiman, Dr. Seuss, George Lucas, and many other writers have had a similar habit. They gave themselves two options. A, you don't have to write. B, you can't do anything else. Neil himself explains, I go down to my lovely little gazebo at the bottom of the garden, sit down, and I'm absolutely allowed not to do anything. I'm not allowed to do a crossword, read a book, phone a friend. All I'm allowed to do is absolutely nothing or write. But writing is actually more interesting than doing nothing after a while. Takeaway number two, rest. Resting, Dr. Anderson wrote, allows the association cortices of the brain to converse in a free and uncensored manner. This is why ideas come to us in the shower, when we're on walks, or when we're daydreaming. A favorite example of this, Lin-Manuel Miranda had the idea for Hamilton the musical when he was on vacation. Quote, I was on a pool float with a margarita in my hand, 
and had a moment when my brain could finally unplug. Apparently, this had been Lin-Manuel Miranda's first vacation in seven years. The moment my brain got a moment's rest, the best idea I've ever had in my life just walked right into it. And then Billy also includes this quote by someone named Robert Persig. If a plant only gets sunlight, it's very harmful. It needs darkness too. In the darkness, it converts oxygen into carbon dioxide. We're like that too. We need periods of doing and periods of non-doing. So I wanted to share this tweet because in the premium episode of the podcast, which you'll hear a preview for later in this episode, I talk a lot about rest and release and how important it is in our recovery journey. And I wanted to share some of this research with you on these takeaways from Billy, because I truly believe that the people who find themselves drawn to my work and my podcast are often deeply repressed creative people who are not allowing themselves any time for silence and rest for their most beautiful ideas and their deepest releases to happen. Instead, we go from distraction to distraction, from piece of content to piece of content, and even just fill the silence with a YouTube video when we're cooking or something. The biggest change that you can make in your life, especially if you're someone who's maybe tried to meditate and you're like, hmm, this, this isn't for me, you can meditate doing anything. And it just means turning all the stuff off, putting your phone away, even if that means just doing the dishes and just focusing on the feeling of the water on your hands and maybe taking a shower and not playing a podcast or a video and just feeling the water on your skin, going on a walk, feeling the sunlight on your face. You will be surprised at the waves of realizations, ideas, and thoughts that come through you when you allow for silence. So my challenge for you this week is to try and create some moments for pure creative thought where you don't bring your phone, you just create space to be and rest and see what comes through. I shared something on my personal Instagram this week that made me laugh. So I'm just going to share with all of you because I mean, y'all are my virtual friends. And it's a tweet by someone named Becca Moore. (laughs) And she says, if you haven't yet today, please make sure you get in your hours and hours of screen time. You are your phone's entire life. It misses you. Heart, heart, heart. Always remember this. (laughs) And it made me laugh, right? Because Seriously, we need to take time away from these fucking devices, like throw it away. Sometimes I don't know if you ever get that feeling of just like, sometimes I'll just like throw my phone over across the room onto a chair because I'm just like, ah, I, sometimes you get really shook by your dependency on this device and just the constant stream of news, texts, DMs, stories, messages, pings, alerts. If you really think about it and you start feeling anxious, it's because it is. It's anxiety inducing. You need to free yourself of that at some point and you have to do that on a daily basis and you have to make a conscious effort because it's all too easy to just let your entire life be noise. And you have to 
as I've mentioned before, that beautiful Sufi mystic saying of the need to empty the cup. You need to empty the cup of your life, get rid of the noise and the shit that isn't serving you and just be. So our first voicemail is from Josie. Hi, my name is Josie. I'm calling from Auckland, New Zealand, and I am calling because I recently watched this film called Bodies, 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 and um, it's kind of this murder mystery suspense. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this one part where the main character, Bay, is um, talking to the rest of the group, and she says, oh, my mom is borderline. And then another character, Jordan, immediately jumps in and she says something to the effect of, oh, her mom is borderline. Doesn't anybody else see that as a red flag? Kind of insinuating to everyone that that is indicative of her not to be trusted, that she's dangerous, that, um, yeah, even just by association of her mother, like genetically something's wrong with her. and. I have to say that I enjoyed that film up to that moment, but it was like a punch in the stomach as someone who's recently um, found out that I have borderline and going through the stigma and telling people, uh, I've told almost no one, but people really close to me, it's been really difficult to have those conversations. And I was sitting there watching it with a friend and my stomach dropped. So the voicemail also drops out here as well as Josie's stomach. Sorry, Josie, I had to make that joke. But first, and all jokes aside, I'm so sorry you had to see that. And this kind of stuff really bugs me. I've never seen Bodies, 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 but I'm pretty sure I think that's the one that Pete Davidson is in it, which is really interesting, right? Because let me just Google this really quick. Hold on. Hold, please. Okay, I'm back after some ferocious Googling. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is a horror thriller movie that was released in 2022, and it stars Pete Davidson, Amanda Stenberg, and then Chase, wow, I'm just butchering this girl's name, Chase Swee Wonders, who I'm pretty sure is the person that Pete Davidson is dating now. I'm mortified that I know this pop culture shit. But anyways... I'm kind of shocked by this because Pete Davidson has a BPD diagnosis. He's come out about it. And it's just funny because you would think that an actor that has been harmed by the stigma himself, he's talked about this, and I've done an episode on it before. I'm surprised that he didn't speak up about that line um, or that no one said anything about this. But this is why... In the last episode, we've talked a little bit about when we should open up about our diagnosis and how we have to be careful about who we talk to these things about because people in general have a really minimal understanding of the medical model of mental illness, how the serotonin theory is a complete myth, and how also mental health disorders, there is no science that proves that any of it is genetic. And also there is no science that even proves that BPD exists. (laughs) BPD is just a collection of symptoms that some psychiatrists that 
created the DSM through together because they were really confused. And even some very prominent people in mental health have referred to BPD as what, something called the waste paper basket diagnosis. And for those of us who are American in the audience, it's like the trash can diagnosis, right? Like it's just the catch all for people that are too difficult for mental health professionals to understand or cope with. And so Josie, I'm sorry that you had to hear that. And I can't even imagine what that must've been like for you. I think all of us can relate to that feeling in your stomach that you get, where it just like Josie said, you feel like you were punched in the gut because in that moment you are thinking that's how people must think about me. And Josie, for what it's worth, maybe, but anyone who would believe that would absolutely be incredibly misinformed and ill-informed. But it devastates me that Hollywood continues to perpetuate this shit, <laughs> quite frankly. And you said that in the film, they say, oh, her mom's borderline. Doesn't anyone else see that as a red flag? And you're so right to insinuate that even someone by association is this scarlet letter, this this thing that you wouldn't even want to be near because maybe you're going to catch the borderline. It's just pure ignorance. And Josie, you said too, you know, you use the phrase, I have borderline. Now, I'm not sure if you've heard my interviews with Dr. Daniel Fox. He is an incredible psychologist and he actively works with his clients and tells his clients to try and not say things like, I have borderline. Try saying you identify with the traits of what is known as BPD, right? You identify with those signs and symptoms, but it's not who you are. You don't have anything. It's just something that you resonated with. And maybe you can use this cluster of symptoms as a map on your own hero's journey, on your way out of the darkness and towards a life worth living. So I hope that in the future and as you proceed in your recovery journey, you can hear this kind of stuff come up in movies and feel confident that you can clap back at this kind of stuff and see it for what it is, which is ignorance. And I know that that doesn't help in the moment, but there is a more empowering way that we can talk about our mental health journeys that also tackle stigma at the same time. Thank you so much for calling in Josie and sending you big hugs. And I hope that this response was helpful for you. Next, I'm going to read a listener email from Christian. So Christian says, my name's Christian, male, first generation American from a Guatemalan family. I was diagnosed with BPD after my wife ran away with what we both considered my therapy dog. The hardest thing I've ever had to explain after being diagnosed at the hospital was telling my parents about BPD. Mental health in Guatemala is severely taboo, and they think it's just pretending or something you should fix in a day. Have you run into others facing this situation where culture significantly hinders the understanding of what BPD is? It's hard enough here in the USA, never mind other cultures that don't want to even talk about mental health. For example, my mom's uncle committed suicide. It was first accepted 
that he killed himself, but after a year, my mom now thinks he was murdered. I think a big proponent is religion and that he went to hell, but I still think that the image of having some type of mental health issue is seen as severely bad and still taboo. Thank you for this message, Christian, and I am really sorry to hear about what happened to your uncle. My family also has a deep wound from a suicide close in our family as well, and I also just hear so many stories of people having an emotional break after a really traumatic loss in their life. They end up in the hospital and it's just an automatic BPD diagnosis. As I've said before, I'm not a mental health practitioner. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a person who has received hundreds upon hundreds of pieces of correspondence from people that are going through what a lot of us are going through. And I am firmly in the camp of BPD being a trash can diagnosis because I feel like it's just what people get labeled with when they have a break. And a lot of times a very understandable break after what happened. Like for example, you had a spouse leave you and also take your dog. And I don't know the details of what happened, but I know that if Cody was just taken from me right now, I would also probably suffer a significant mental break. And I can't speak to the experience of coming from a family of immigrants, Christian, because that's not my personal experience. But I do have a lot of family who are incredibly unaware when it comes to self-awareness. They're not informed when it comes to mental health and when the pain of others is thrust in their face, they shut down and they don't want to deal with it. And I think this happens across all cultures, especially when there are big, big feelings like feelings of suicidal ideation, complete emotional breakdown where you are feeling hysterical, right? There are people out there that have repressed their own pain and their own suffering to such an extent that seeing displays of such profound suffering from someone close to them, it is such a deep trigger that the only way they can protect themselves is if they invalidate your experience, shut it down, and your suffering is making them uncomfortable, so they want it to stop. And if you actually think about it from their perspective, you can understand why, but then it leaves the person in your shoes incredibly isolated and alone. You know, a good friend of mine who is a very prominent creator in the BPD community, she told me that one of the most incredible moments she ever had in therapy was when she sat down and just completely word vomited to her therapist about what had happened in her life and how she didn't want to live anymore. And her therapist, after these proclamations of severe suicidal ideation, and my friend said to her therapist very clearly, she didn't have any plans to do anything to herself, but her therapist looked at her in the eye and said, I don't think that I would want to live anymore either if I had been through what you had been through. 
It's completely understandable why you feel the way that you do. And just that, in that moment, my friend said that she felt so incredibly seen and heard. And just the very fact that her therapist wasn't scared of these big feelings allowed her healing process to begin. So Christian, I just encourage you when your family shuts you out or ices you out, or it feels like your pain and suffering is too much for them to cope with. And they tell you things like it'll be fixed in a day. Just know that what you're bumping up against is their own fear, their own shame, their own lack of self-awareness, their own uninformed nature of mental health, all of it. And it's understandable, likely knowing your family, only, you know, your family. But I know that when I look back into my past and really unpick some of the more isolating and disheartening conversations that I've had with family, when I've really tried to open up with them about my suffering in the moment, I felt like something was wrong with me. But in reality, when I look back, sure, I was going through it, but also my family was scared by my big displays of emotion, was scared by my suffering because it kind of touched on their own suffering and they didn't want to look at that. So for what it's worth, I hope that's helpful. And I also really hope that you're doing all right, that you are recovering, hope you're out of the hospital, and I really hope that you are on your your path to healing. I know some of these moments can be really dark, but sometimes the most beautiful and transformative things can come out of the darkest moments of our life. I know that's been true for me. I've been at the space where I didn't want to live anymore. And I've also come back from that too. So I'm really happy you're still here with us and I'm sending you big hugs. Our next voicemail is from Sammy. Hi, my name's Samantha. I absolutely love um, your podcast and I've listened to so many of your episodes. Um, I'm calling because I'm wondering what the signs are of a friend having BPD. Um, How can we tell that a friend of ours has BPD? So for me, I have this one friend um, and whenever we are in contact, um, the friendship is very intense and requires a lot of kind of emotional support from my side. Um, but it tends to be cyclical where typically there's like a, an outburst or something that kind of leads to this person, um, dropping contact for a while. And then in a couple of months later, they'll want to, um, re-pick up contact and start the friendship all over again. Um, and this has happened quite a few times. So I am wondering, um, one, like what's the signs that somebody might have BPD? Um, in a friendship and two, like how can I make these kind of cycles like less intense um, and support my friend if they do have BPD to um, be able to maintain contact and maintain the friendship. Thank you so much. Hi, Samantha. Thank you so much for your voicemail. I get many, many, many emails, voicemails, Instagram comments from people that say, I think my partner or my ex or my friend for sure has BPD and here's why, right? 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The best thing we can do is completely release any urge that we have to armchair diagnose someone else. Just let it go. There is absolutely no point in saying, oh, is so-and-so a narcissist? Is so-and-so a borderline? It's all pointless. The only thing we can do is focus on ourselves and change our behavior and adjust our own boundaries. It actually doesn't matter what your friend has or doesn't have, but what I heard you say is our friendship is very intense and requires a lot of emotional support from your side and that there is cycles of this, an outburst that leads to the person dropping contact for a while. And then a couple of months later, they resurface and you want to know how you can make these cycles less intense. Well, another word for cycle is also a pattern. It sounds like you've established a pattern together in this relationship with your friend because it absolutely takes two to tango where you have a certain role and your friend has a certain role and this pattern is just repeating itself and repeating itself and repeating itself and you have complete control of changing this pattern and cycle and I encourage you to ask yourself you know what are you getting from this relationship? Do you have a savior complex? Because I sure as shit know that I do or did. It's something I'm actively working on. I have made myself completely available for so many people because I think a part of me got some kind of like sick, twisted, controlling pleasure from like giving people advice and helping people pull themselves up from rock bottom because it helped distract me from my own stuff. And I also found myself in a position where I had a bunch of probably unhealthy and toxic friendships. And I had to ask myself, why do I constantly find myself in these dynamics? And it's interesting because your voicemail was like, how do I, you know, tell if my friend has BPD, but I want to turn the question around on you and ask you, you know, why are you allowing this cycle to perpetuate? And what does it say about how you value yourself and your time and what you allow in your life? That's something that I would ask myself. And it's something that I would tell my sister or my best friend if they came to me asking what you're asking. 
It's easy to fall into toxic patterns of friendship that detract from your life more than adding to it. And some of us are desperate to collect as many friends as possible, like Pokemon, (laughs) and we lower both our boundaries and our standards in order to meet those goals of just collecting friendships. And seeking this type of outward validation always seems to end in heartache, but it never quite provides the insight that's so critical and so valuable. This is why you need to look deeper within yourself and ask why you're allowing this cycle to perpetuate. And also why, instead of asking that question, you think that determining whether or not this friend has BPD or not is even going to bring you any kind of solution. Something I think a lot of us struggle with as we grow up is that friendships change, just like our personalities change. And this is just because the things that we want from life begin to change. We start to understand that we don't just want any friendship or relationship or intimate partnership. We want ones that are healthy for us. And once we start waking up to these repetitive cycles and dynamics, that's when you really start recognizing that you need to maybe shed some things in your life. I think all of us have probably both been in the position of being this permanent victim-minded person, and then we've also been in the position where we are friends with this permanent victim-minded person. It's also kind of called like an emotional vampire. I am devastated to say that I spent many years of my life being this person. I think that a lot of people really just wanted to distance themselves from. They loved me, but I just was a chaotic drama spiral in human form. And it's really hard to be friends with someone who always seems to be down on their luck or at the mercy of the universe. And this permanent victim mentality can become just this distraction and drama and feeling like you're constantly being dragged down into this person's dramatic world. It can feel like it slows you down and someone who just is in constant need for emotional labor and attention can really prevent us from living our best life and focusing on our recovery And while we should be there for people that genuinely need us, a perpetual victim-minded person is someone who is forever suffering because of their own inability to take responsibility over their life. And in this case, you know, nothing is ever their fault and everything that goes wrong is always beyond their control. And Like I said before, I think we've all been in that position probably if we're honest with ourselves and we've all dealt with people who are in that state. The best advice that I have for you is to really just accept this friendship for the reality of what it is and then use that knowledge to empower yourself moving forward. It can be really, really painful realizing that a friendship isn't what it used to be or what you thought it was. But it's really important that you do this to safeguard your own mental and emotional well-being. And you can start by letting this person go if you need to, 
by accepting the reality of the friendship and maybe the more toxic elements and the toxic dynamic that you both have created here, right? Because as I said before, it takes two getting their goal and satisfying their desires. And I'm saying this with a lot of sympathy as well. It's really important to not label people like this as a borderline or a narcissist or something like that, because what it does is it dehumanizes the person. It doesn't mean that they're not suffering. It doesn't mean that they aren't deserving of healing and understanding, but it means that you need to notice whether someone is in a place where their behavior and the things that they're doing and what they're bringing to their relationship with you, you have to decide if that is something that you're willing to take on or not. Think down to the very core of who you are and consider the things that are most important to your own life and recovery journey. What do you value the most? Where do your morals lie? What behavior and treatment are you willing and not willing to accept in your friendships? What unforgivable action would cross the line. And all these answers are part of creating the boundaries and limitations that matter to you. And once you have an understanding of those, you can begin to communicate those needs directly to the people that need to hear them. You can start sticking up for yourself, stick up for the types of friendships you want, the types of friendships that you need, and maybe let this friend know that despite how they're acting, They're not above dealing with your boundaries and your boundaries say that you need to be treated with respect and equality at all times, or that person is no longer welcome in your life and your space. And that is okay to do. And you do not have to allow any friendship or person in your life to overwhelm you. It's all up to you to create more space give yourself room to breathe and get grounded again. And you need to let that urge to answer the phone every time, reply to a text immediately, delete the text or mute them on social media. Give yourself room. If you're feeling pressured by someone that is giving rise to these negative feelings within you, don't always feel like you have to be there. Are they always there for you? You know, Giving yourself space doesn't make you a bad person and it does not make you selfish. It makes you human and it makes you a really good steward of your own well-being and your boundaries. It's obvious that a friendship is probably no longer healthy for your life. I don't even like toxic friends, right? Because again, that's just labeling someone. It's not very human, but an unhealthy dynamic is easy to identify is if you feel like a complete and utter lack of control. People that might not be healthy to have in your life right now are the kinds of people who are at a stage in their life who are commanding lots of attention, but also people that demand that everything be done their way and to their standards. It's really important that you not allow someone else to control your life and your experiences. So it's important that you take charge and take back that sense of control That should be mutual in your relationships. You can really take your power back by refusing to give in to these cyclical tactics that you described in your voicemail. 
You can empower yourself by standing firm and refusing to rise to any provocative behavior that they might throw your way, any texts or calls or angry voicemails. You are in control of the way you react and the way you behave. And you're in control of your own environment and the people you choose to surround yourself with. So it's important that you find that sense of control and reestablish your independence free of this unhealthy friendship dynamic that you found yourself in. All right. So we're going to take one more voicemail and this one is from Aaron. Hey, Molly. My name is Aaron. I'm 26 and I'm from Norfolk, Virginia. I just wanted to start off by saying how informative and helpful your podcast has been. I've been binge listening for almost a week now. Listening to your podcast has helped me substantially considering I've been so burnt out from work the past two months that I've neglected making progress through my workbooks and other reading material. I've had my diagnosis a little over a year now. I was with a partner that by the time I had begun work on myself, it was too late. I had caused too much trauma and abuse, and one of his favorite things to remind me while we were still together was how I was always going to be a slave to my BPD and how I'd never recover from it. Another thing he liked to mention was every time I was upset about anything, he'd tell me, you're just having a BPD moment. This minimized my feelings and invalidated me every single time. My question for you is, how do I know if my reactions and feelings towards something are genuine or if it's just my BPD acting up? Have I gotten too comfortable with gaslighting myself into thinking that every little issue I have is me being overly sensitive? Any feedback would be so appreciated and so helpful. Thanks. All right, Erin. I'm feeling very big sister Molly right now, and all I want to say is fuck that guy. But that's not the end of my advice. And I'm sure that he has his own issues and he's just mirroring back and reflecting the really toxic ways that he probably saw people communicate with each other in his childhood. He clearly has, similar to what I described with Christian's voicemail, we're encountering someone who has very low levels of self-awareness, someone who is a massive projector who wants to shine the light on you. You opened up in a moment of vulnerability, shared this diagnosis, this uh, cluster of symptoms that you identify with, and now that has become your scarlet letter. You are a borderline to this person now. You are no longer a human. It's always a borderline moment, a BPD moment. And this is when diagnoses become weapons that are used against us in the hands of the people that are supposed to love us most. It's not okay. And I can't even tell you, Aaron, again, the amount of voicemails that I've received that are to some effect basically saying, Molly, help me. Is it me or is it the BPD? And this is why I... I'm not a big fan of this diagnosis or any kind of disorder or dysfunction diagnoses in general because it creates this feeling within us where we're constantly monitoring ourselves and wondering like, oh no, is this like a demon inside of me bubbling up? Like, is this even me? And it's really not helpful. At least it hasn't been for me. And the more and more that I disidentified from any labels and just said, yeah, I identify with the cluster of symptoms of what is known as BPD. I really struggle with emotion regulation. That has been so helpful. If you are feeling like you want to open up to someone that you're close with and you're worried about sharing this BPD label, I just recommend really 
opening up to people if you feel like it's safe and they are a safe person to just say, I am highly sensitive and I'm working on regulating my emotions. I struggle with something called emotion dysregulation and I'm working on it. And I'd be curious to know what you're working on, right? Because things should be reciprocal and everyone has something that they're working on. And the person that you're with, if someone just thinks that they're a finished product and they're perfect and they don't have anything that they think that they're working on within themselves, I'm not saying we have to treat ourselves like a project because I also heard in your voicemail, you being really hard on yourself saying, you know, I've been neglecting my reading material. It's so easy, Aaron, for us to slip into this self-defeating and like beating the shit out of ourselves and saying that we're not doing recovery right. Sometimes the best thing for us is to take a break from the reading and feel. And like I described at the beginning of the episode, have you had some time to just be, let your brain rest, maybe do some brain dumping in a journal and just letting yourself be. You don't always have to be working on something. You can just allow yourself some time to rest. Hearing things from a partner like they've you've ruined the relationship and this person saying to you that you'd always be a slave to your BPD, that you'd never recover, and in moments maybe where you're having like a genuine feeling in a vulnerable moment saying you're just having a BPD moment, that is incredibly damaging. And I hope that you're in a situation where you're no longer having to deal with that person in your life because I don't think it's possible to properly recover and heal when we're being subjected to treatment like that. It's absolutely not okay. Not every extreme emotional reaction is an overreaction or some indication of emotion dysregulation or BPD. Sometimes intense emotions are relevant and justified. The problem is, is that a lot of us have people around us who want to tell us how we should feel and how we shouldn't feel about particular situations. And this is wrong. No one should be telling you how you should feel. They should either just accept it or not. And other people don't necessarily need to accept the actions that follow intense emotions, but it's important that you understand that all intense emotional reactions are not always indicative of some disordered behavior. And it's inevitable that there are going to be people in our lives that think that we're overreacting and In an ideal world, we would receive support and understanding from the people around us, but unfortunately, we don't live in an ideal world, and people in general really aren't very emotionally intelligent. That's just the reality of the world we're living in right now. Now, if something happens to us and we have this extreme and intense emotional reaction and it's justified, it doesn't mean we're overreacting. It's reasonable in many situations for us to feel intense emotions, but it's still important that we are responsible for our feelings. So say, for example, we lash out because we're angry and hurt. That is something where these actions and these reactions can get us into trouble or have negative consequences. 
So for the question, is it me or the BPD? I reframe this question as like, how do we know if we're overreacting? So let's talk about some common indicators that could help you determine whether or not you're overreacting. One indicator is maybe that you feel like you struggle to control your emotions. So maybe your emotions run so high that you have no choice but to ride them out. And certain people don't experience these kinds of intense emotions and they have a better ability to bring them under control or self-manage them without them bubbling over and creating like the lashing out moments, right? Because if we lash out in terms of physically or even verbally screaming at someone, there's nothing wrong with feeling the feelings and crying and going through our own process. But the moment that we're lashing out at others, saying cruel things, physically attacking someone, doing cruel things and maybe taking, um, getting revenge or something like that, the emotion is bubbling over and it's turning into a reaction. I think that's something to keep in mind. Something else to think about is maybe start wondering, do you make a big deal out of even mundane things? So maybe small problems and changes in your life affect you in a really big way. So maybe something as simple as a minor disagreement with your partner or them like rolling their eyes or something, which happens in every human relationship. It might cause you to completely break down in tears, think that their relationship is over and split on them, right? Thinking they're a horrible person. And you might even find yourself questioning your entire relationship, right? So monitoring for emotions that turn into big explosive reactions and also that make you start thinking about things in extremes. That's another thing to start really honing in on and seeing if that's something that you do. Also, maybe start monitoring your body. Physical things like racing heart, tightness in your chest, stomach pains, abdominal distress. These are all signs that these emotions are turning into an extreme reaction. Something else is, you know, looking out for an excessive amount of anger, crying, name calling, or yelling. If these big feelings, these overwhelming surges of emotions are preventing you from engaging in calm, rational, and meaningful conversations with your partner or the people in your life where you can find a mutual understanding that is something to maybe indicate an overreaction. And so as a result, you might find that you're cutting people off in conversation, minimizing their feelings, or not even giving them a chance to be a person in the relationship too. And so while you have feelings and they're justified, the other person's feelings matter too. And on the other side of the spectrum, that could indicate a really extreme emotional reaction that is more on the dysfunctional side. It could be when our feelings are so intense and overwhelming that instead of lashing out, we just feel so overwhelmed with our emotions that we can't even function in the present moment. So instead of feeling something, we shut down and can't even participate in the conversation. Maybe you completely walk away and I found in my experience that I tend to attract partners that are the shutting down, walking away type, and I am the type that is explosive, yelling, and 
um, you know, really outward with my displays. And so when someone walks away and shuts down, I feel abandoned, which makes me chase them out the door, yell, etc. And they feel completely triggered by that and want to shut down and clam up even more. And I think these kinds of dynamics play out a lot with people who identify with the traits of what is known as BPD. So some advice if you identify with this is to first identify some emotional triggers that cause you to overreact. There are probably specific circumstances that cause a sudden flood of emotions for you. It may be words spoken, the way they're said, situations that make you feel a certain way, anything that triggers an emotional response that causes some of your common overreacting behaviors. And only you know that. So one good way to identify triggers is to reflect on other situations where you overreacted. So examine an incident from when you felt okay through to when you started feeling the emotional response through to maybe the explosive reaction that you were unable to control and then left you with that shame spiral or that guilt spiral and see if you can pick out the events that caused your emotions to really ramp up. And then next, really focus on taking care of you. It's not easy to engage in appropriate self-care, especially if you're struggling with your mental health, but it's really, really important to smooth out those rough edges. My therapist, Bev, always tells me, assess your vulnerabilities. Are you eating well? Have you gone out for your stupid walk for your stupid mental health? Are you sleeping well? Have you been maybe on a bender where you're doing a bunch of recreational drugs, drinking, stimulants, all of these things? There's a phrase that says death by a thousand cuts. If you have a bunch of vulnerabilities, like for example, say that I'm sleep deprived. I just drank the night before. I haven't gone out on my walk and haven't seen sunlight in a few days. I've been taking a bunch of ibuprofen. I've been eating like shit and I am PMSing. If I am not filling my own cup, I am so much more likely to snap at the people that I love. And that is my body's way of telling me you're not taking care of you. You have nothing else to give to anyone else in this moment. And so I'm just going to shut down like a little pouty child and you need to assess your vulnerabilities. And then my next bit of advice for you is to work on your communication skills, really make an active effort to improve your ability to communicate with other people. This means that you're going to put in more effort in learning how to express your emotions and needs to others. I did an entire episode on this that you can listen to. And you might also need to work on hearing what the other person is telling you without reading into their words or creating stories about what something means. For example, Zaz is very blunt and direct. And a lot of times I will read into his tone and make something that he's saying mean something completely different. And all of a sudden I'm living in this alternative reality in my mind where this man is legitimately out to get me and being an asshole when in reality he's just said something very blunt and to the point. So people who struggle with emotion regulation or really intense emotions or high sensitivity 
we often find that we add emotions and context to situations that don't even exist. So as I discussed in my episode where we talked all about stating our needs in, in relationships and discovering what they are, the advice was to focus on I statements versus you statements, saying things like, I feel angry and disrespected when blank, 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 rather than you never blank, blank, blank. And these types of I statements help people get to solutions much more effectively. And it's also really important to avoid making assumptions about what other people are thinking or feeling. Stop reading between the lines. Stop making up stories. Let people express themselves and take their words at face value. You are not a mind reader and you're especially not a good mind reader when you are emotionally dysregulated. So if you find yourself in your relationship overreacting on a regular basis, Try to find time to sit down with your partner and agree ahead of time to allow yourself a break when emotions are high and allow yourself to really cool down before you get involved in the discussion. There's this old advice that's like never go to bed angry, but it's actually a really ignorant statement to make because sometimes a good night's sleep or a walk in the park will create some distance from the problem to allow you to see that you weren't acting rationally. And as long as you're not up all night fuming about it, <laughs> because if you are, you're going to be angry and irritable all the way till the next morning. And you're just going to continue the fight the next day. You need to focus on finding healthy ways to vent your feelings. We're going to be talking about this in the premium episode of the podcast a bit. And it's obvious, right? Healthier ways to vent your feelings include taking time to journal, meditate on them, punch a pillow, go into your car and scream, whatever you need to do, it's important that you feel your emotions. Don't sit and ruminate on them, but also don't take them out on other people. You don't have to be controlled by your reactions and your overreactions, and it will take some time and work, but you can get it to a place where they become smaller and more manageable. And then when they flare up, you have skills. You can say to your partner, like, I'm feeling really emotionally flooded right now. I'm going to take a walk. Let's come back and talk about this later. And then talk to the person that you're talking to, like you're trying to find a mutual understanding and a solution and use those I statements. And also regarding this voicemail, you know, if someone is saying really harmful things to you, recognize those as very harmful things and also circling back to the first voicemail that we answered here, there's nothing that we can do to control the behavior of other people. All we can do is say, huh, I have ended up in a relationship dynamic where it seems like we are not treating each other well. I'm not being treated well. How have I found myself here? And what do I expect? What will I no longer tolerate? And how do I want to make future plans and plan my next moves to make sure that I'm in a relationship where I'm treated with respect and also working actively on my ability to healthily express, move through, and co-validate and co-regulate with my partner. So I hope that this was helpful for you and I'm really, really sorry to hear that 
things like that were being said to you, Aaron. And so also, I hope that it was helpful in terms of helping you identify, are you overreacting in a situation and how can you vent these feelings in a healthier way that doesn't give someone the ammo to be able to tell you, oh, you're just having a BPD moment, right? But I want to reiterate that that's not something anybody should be having to put up with in their relationship. It contributes to a breakdown of intimacy. But I'm not saying that a relationship like this can't be salvageable because I was in a relationship myself with my current partner, Zaz, where I thought that there was no hope for us. We both said really cruel things to each other. We yelled and screamed at each other. And that's no longer our reality now because what we've recognized is we recognized our own trauma. We were able to learn to communicate to each other with love. And now we both know and we can identify easily when we need to walk away, process our emotions and come back and communicate with love and understanding to each other. So it's up to you to decide if this is a relationship that you think has a future. And it's all about whether or not your partner is willing to be an active participant in this with you. So sending you all the love in my heart. Thank you so much for this voicemail. And if you'd like to hear your voice on an episode of the podcast, you have a question for me, you can do that by visiting backfromtheborderline.com and submitting the voicemail through the little microphone icon. What you're about to hear now is a preview of this week's my stupid walk for my stupid mental health. My stupid walk for my stupid mental health is my extra exclusive private podcast that is available only to my premium submarines, which is what I lovingly call the private supporters of this podcast. If you want to sign up, you can do that by following the link in the episode description and becoming a patron on Patreon, where you will unlock hours of bonus content, OG episodes of the pod that I have archived, all the episodes of my stupid walk for my stupid mental health so far, which as of recording of this episode in March, 2023, there are 13 episodes and you'll also get my monthly newsletter, which is called the monthly sonar system mailer, which I send out at the end of every month. So if that sounds interesting to you, sign up, but for now you're going to get a super special little preview of this week's episode and then it will fade out. And if you want to unlock the full episode, you can do so by becoming a premium submarine. So let's get into it. Hello everyone. Welcome to our stupid walk for our stupid mental health. It has been quite the week. I decided to not take Cody on my walk today. Sometimes I just need a little bit of me time. And I think that's what I want to start talking about today too. You know that I've been working my way through this book called The Artist's Way. And I think it's called The Artist's Way, A Spiritual Path Towards Higher Creativity. I'm probably butchering that, but I included it in the show notes of last episode and I'll include it again today. But it's really focusing on unblocking your creativity. And in addition to that, it's just been probably one of the most helpful things I've done for just 
clearing out the emotional cobwebs. And one of the things that the book asks you to do, so the book is a book, but it's also like a 12 week course that you can self guide yourself through to address creative blocks. And the one non-negotiable thing that the book tells you that you have to do is something called morning pages. And the idea is that you do your morning pages every single morning and it involves sitting down with a pen and paper and writing anything that comes to mind, free association for three pages and you have to do it every single day. And the author Julia Cameron talks about how she actually came up with this idea for morning pages when she was a screenwriter in Hollywood and she had gotten like her fourth screenplay declined. And so she ended up moving to Taos, New Mexico and settling into this tiny little house. And every morning she would wake up and she was kind of thinking like, what the fuck am I going to do with the rest of my life? And so she sat down on her little patio every morning at this random house in Taos, New Mexico that she was renting to try and figure out what she wanted to do and move past all of this grief that she was feeling. And she just sat down and wrote every single morning, whatever came to mind. And she calls it brain drain, like where you put it all down on the paper, everything that's inside of you, you just vomit it out. Even if it's whiny, even if it's self-pitying, even if it's self-critical, you put it out on the page because her belief is that we all need to get this shit out of us. We need to get these, these thoughts out in some way. And I think the theme of today's stupid walk really is just release. So many of us are so tight and I feel like you will understand if you're listening to this. So often I have to remind myself to breathe for the longest time people in my life. It's like a running joke that I do a lot of like deep sighing, like, and it's not because I'm bored. I think I've mentioned this to submarines before, so I don't want to be that bitch that's telling the same story over and over again, but this is real life. (laughs) Um, but it's because I forget to breathe sometimes. I'm so tight like, and so armored that I'm just in this state of always expecting the next threat. And recently, I've been focusing on breathing. Just all day, am I breathing and releasing? And when I take a deep breath, I'm just focusing on letting it all go when I let it out. And then it reminds me how tight my body always is. And another thing of release is these morning pages, putting it all down on the paper. Something that helped me also when I was in the serious parts of my recovery. One of the more difficult and painful parts of the recovery process has got to be when you start digging into your past. Because that's when the feelings of deep, deep grief start to arise of what would I have been like if I didn't 
have the caregivers I had? How different would I be if XYZ hadn't happened to me? And all of these things are so normal to feel. And it's important to release that grief rather than to distract ourselves from it. And so many quote unquote neurotypical people out there, in my opinion, I'm wondering more and more if our definition of neurotypical half the time is just like emotionally constipated and repressed. Just because someone can participate in society as a quote unquote normal person does not mean that they have, they don't have deep, deep wells and reserves of unaddressed grief in their soul. I apologize for my voice, everyone. I'm battling a little bit of allergies. So I ask you, how often are you releasing? One of the best things I did early on in my journey was doing a lot of screaming. I highly recommend if you have a car and a garage, even better, sitting in your car with a pillow, not with the car on and with the garage door closed, by the way, because that's very dangerous. So the car is off and you close the door. It's just like for soundproofing. And you just take a pillow into the car and you just scream into it. Scream what you need to scream. Scream it out like you're a little kid throwing a tantrum. Think of the last time you saw a little kid throwing a tantrum. You know when someone screams and kicks and then there's that moment where they're like, you know, when someone finishes crying and they're so cried out that you're like, and they fall asleep, right? Because they released all of that. They got it out. And we have to do that more as adults. And so this combination of screaming, crying, punching pillows, and now doing my morning pages, I feel like I'm practicing the art of release. And I want you all to think this week about how are you releasing? What do you need to let go of? When is the last time you screamed, punched, cried, wrote? We're always so self-conscious, right? And a lot of us think about self-conscious as as like, oh, I'm self-conscious. Like I'm hiding my, like maybe a zit on my face. I'm talking about self-conscious in the way that we're just always conscious about how we're being perceived by the outside world. Whereas if you see an animal, right, they're just going to, wherever they are, take a shit, right? They're not self-conscious. They're just doing what they need to do. They need to release. They're going to do it right there. They're not thinking about it. Now, I'm not telling you that you should take a shit in the middle of the road, (laughs) but I'm saying... Who fucking cares about how other people see you? Now, I don't recommend at all screaming like in your apartment or something. If you live in a place with really small, like thin walls, like you might get the cops called on you or something. And I've said this before in a previous episode. So just like do what you need to do. Maybe turn on some loud music, get a pillow and like scream into it if you need to do the car thing. But also everyone has different ways of releasing. But I really want to invite all of you to join me in the morning pages. Even if you don't buy Julia Cameron's book, The Artist Way, Zaz hasn't bought it. And he 
is doing the morning pages. I've encouraged him to do it because I don't know if all of you know, but Zaz is a really, really talented musician and creative. I mean, he does a little bit of everything when it comes to creativity, but he's struggling with a creative block right now. And he is someone who I'm very outward. So I cry a lot. I have a very outward displays of emotion, but Zaz is someone who's very inward. And if you are someone who acts in and maybe identifies with some something like, you know, quiet BPD, which doesn't exist, by the way. It's not something that's recognized um, by the DSM. But it's like Dr. Anita Federici said, right? Is like quiet BPD feels like sunshine on the outside, razor blades on the inside. It's really important that if that's you, that you release. It's even more important that you find time to scream, cry, punch, write. You have to let it out. Because otherwise, that stuff, it makes you sick. This kind of stuff can turn into dis-ease, right? And this isn't to scare you because it's something that you can absolutely address. And if you turn within and ask yourself, your inner wisdom, what you need to do to release, you will find the way that works for you. So I just wanted to share that as some food for thought this week. And ask you to ask yourself, what are you holding in? Do you need to run the faucet and clear out the pipes? What needs to release? How long has it been since you've released? And I'll tell you when you start doing these morning pages, if you do it, even Zaz said to me, he's like, what do I do? What do I write? Right? Anything. And Julia Cameron puts in the book that even if it's just you sitting there writing, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write for three pages. Then you did it. The idea is to just get stuff out on the page, but you'll be really surprised when you start writing how much it flows. And you'll also be surprised when you start writing how your little hand cramps up and you're like, what the fuck? I haven't actually written something in so long. I'm left-handed as well. And so I hold my pencil like the weirdest way that you've probably ever seen in your entire life. And so watching me write is actually comical. And I slide my hand across the page and wipe ink everywhere because that's just the way it goes. But I do it. And I want you all to know that I have seen significant amount of energy flowing back into my life. It's hard to explain, but sitting down and doing this, it's like the small little artist child inside of me is smiling because she knows that I'm sitting down and dedicating time. And this has also helped me get back into my body. For those of you that are kind of like dissociative and maybe find that you're not very grounded, these practices have really been helpful for me when it comes to that too. So think about it this week. What are you not releasing? How can you find avenues to release? And do you want to take the morning pages packed with me? I highly encourage you to buy The Artist's Way. The book's just amazing. And it will open up areas inside of you that you didn't even know existed. And so I'm really interested if anybody grabs that book and starts it, please let me know um, if you've read it before, if you get it, and then you start to do your morning pages, let me know. So I have some exciting news. 
that I am burying here in the stupid walk episode because I just want to tell premium submarines because it's still very special news to me. But Zaz and I... If you want to find out my extra exciting news, you're going to have to become a premium submarine. I know I'm sorry to do it to you, but I just had to. So if you want to become a premium submarine, you can go ahead and click the link in the episode description and you will unlock full episodes every week delivered hot, spicy, and bubbling to your device. But if you want to continue being a free subscriber, that's okay too. You can make your decision. You can support the podcast in lots of different ways as well. You can rate and review the podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Back From The Borderline. Seriously, you're missing some really good memes and good stuff going on there if you're not already following me. Or you can share the podcast with a friend. Those are all ways you can support and lift up the really important work that I'm doing here. But I would love to welcome you into the inner circle of Premium Submarines. If you've been a longtime listener and you love what I'm doing here, not only do you unlock a shit ton of extra content and resources, but you also know that you're supporting the work I'm doing. I don't have a bunch of sponsors. I don't fill your feed with ads. I am doing this purely supported by my listeners. So if you've been wondering for a while and want to take the plunge, I'd love for you to become part of the premium submarine family, but I love you lots. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I will see you right back here next Tuesday. And don't forget anyone, even you can come back from the borderline. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.